Welcome to the April 25th, 2023 podcast of Wisdom Today. Hello, my name is Bill Kelly and I'll be your host today. Today we'll be going over Proverb 25, but before we begin, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for anyone listening to this podcast today. Lord, I pray that you give them ears to hear and a heart to receive what you have in store for each one today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Proverb 25, beginning in verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, Come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince." whom your eyes have seen. Do not go hastily to court, for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Like the cold of snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. By long forbearance a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather, and like vinegar on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house with a contentious woman. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. It is not good to eat much honey, 
so to seek one's own glory is not glory. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Friends, I have a special treat for you today. I have Roger Kelly here, who is a third-year Karis Bible College student, and I always like having third-year students on because they have a lot of wisdom. They've been under the Word for a long time. Roger, I'd like to thank you for coming on and joining me today. Well, thank you, sir, and I should tell them that uh, no relation, uh, but yes, thank you for the invite. Roger, we just finished Proverb 25, and there's a number of different verses that we could talk about. Which one spoke directly to you today? Well, you know, again, not to uh, sort of repeat what you said, but the number of them speak to me. But the one that most spoke to me in this last reading was uh, number 19. So Proverbs 25, number 19, and then it says, Confidence in an, un- this is the King James Version, Confidence in an unfaithful man in, man in times of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. So that speaks to me in this way. I, you know, my experience in life has, has, has been where I've had to rely on other uh, men, other team members, um, others that I relied on that and equally relied on me. So again, in a secular way, this speaks to, it, it says again, if you look at this in the inverse, uh, so confidence in a faithful man would be just the opposite of that. But confidence, if I knew that somebody was unfaithful, let's say in the word or in action or in deed, then uh, I knew when times of trouble came that um, they were not going to stand up or could be counted, right? They would lean back and, and, and serve self. And it's a great analogy if you think about it. Um, an unfaithful man, man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Uh, if your tooth is broken, you you can't eat or at least eat well, and you're going to have to probably rely on uh, some kind of baby food or, or something that's been uh, whipped or, or uh, in order to be able to get it down, and it's still going to be painful. So you might be able to, to still counter this man in some regard, but there's going to be pain involved in it, or it's not going to go down well, or a foot out of a joint. If, you, if somebody is not mobile, then you can't count on them to keep up. Oh, and you're going to have to then turn back and support them, which means you can't be focused on the truth or the word. So that's kind of why it spoke to me. So thank you for asking. You're welcome, Roger. Roger, one of the main things I always try to set the tone of the podcast is to ask this simple question. What is the most important decision you've ever made in your life? And tell the audience why. Yeah, that's not hard. I mean, I am a third-year Karis Bible student, so I've had the opportunity to get under the Word and to reflect back quite a bit. At age 10, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I didn't value it as much then, obviously, but I've come to value it greatly. So that would be that would be my greatest decision. Now, there were there was large gaps in between before I came to fully understand uh, the Word and, again, the promises of God. So it's been a great journey. I'll keep learning and, and, uh, and moving forward until I go home. Okay, Roger, we've gone over the most important decision that you've made, and that's receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen. And I will agree with you. And the reason why that is the most important decision anyone can make is mm. that is the only decision we ever make in life that will be affected into eternity. Mm, well said. So the second important decision, Roger, is 
who we're going to share our life with. If you would, talk about that experience when you met your wife. Tell us that story. Yeah, I um, I met my wife when she was the best friend of my sister. So at age 15, I met the joy in my life. Her name, obviously, is Joy. And um, I went away. I, I joined the Marine Corps at age 17, finished high school, went at 17 during the time of the draft. And uh, I think the three months I was away in boot camp, she wrote me about 60 letters. I think I wrote her three. And yet she still loved me and came down to see me graduate. And as soon as I was settled out in the fleet, then I asked her to marry me. We were married in a, at Quantico in the Marine Corps Memorial Chapel with the sword ceremony. And, and it's just been a blessing ever since. I could not, period, without her totally. So thank you for asking. Well, you know, one of the things I always like to do for anyone who has served our country is thank you for your service. If you would, tell us that experience. You said you did four years active duty, five years after that. If you would, go ahead and share that experience with the audience. Absolutely. I'll try to condense it. Um, I was 17 when I went in. I wanted to be in the Marine Corps since I was probably nine or 10. Um, Joined the June period of the draft. The irony is that while I was in boot camp, I received my draft notice, but obviously I had already chosen to go forward at a time when culturally the military was spit on and despised. No, I, I've always had a servant's heart. That was a great place to begin to serve. I serve my country. God, Corps, and country is the way we used to say it. And that experience in the United States Marine Corps was at the last two years of the Vietnam War. So uh, I got a chance to be tested. I learned to trust not only in, in my training and my fellow Marines, but also in my God. And uh, that stayed with me ever since. We just celebrated the Marine Corps' 247th birthday. Uh, they were born, ironically, in a tavern in Philadelphia on um, 10 November 1775. Marines are like Texans. We'll tell you we're, we're Marines and if we're, telling you, if we're from Texas, we'll tell you that too. So that, that stays with you. That never leaves. So we even had a gathering up at Karis Bible College, about a half a dozen Marines, that we uh, read the Commandant's message, we cut the cake. This time I was the oldest Marine. The oldest Marine presents the, the cake to the youngest Marine. That youngest Marine in there was 42 years old. But the Marine Corps is something that gets into your soul and stays in your soul. The way you look at the world and the way you take on issues um, – Highly affected by that. I have no regrets. If I were a young lion, I'd do it again. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I did my four years in the Army from 75 to 79. And, uh, you know, I still think that's one of the best things that ever happened to me. You know, in Proverbs 18.22, the Word tells us that he who finds a wife mm. finds a good thing. Amen. But I like what the New Living Translation, it says, finds a treasure. Amen. Now, Roger, you have been married 47 years. Yes, sir. How important is having a woman behind you every step of the way? Uh, it's key. I don't think, again, the Bible tells us we're not supposed to be alone, right? It wasn't until... Um God created woman that he, he said, it is good. <laughs> I think that forecasted everything forward. You have to share life with somebody. I think it's so important to look to God for your needs and to minister to each other. And particularly as men, we're, we're sort of wired to fix things. But we're also wired to serve and provide the bacon and be accountable to somebody. But truly, um, truly a spouse, a helpmate, a wife is the key to. Now, we've had our moments, right? 
uh, but it's the key to, to just good living. And if you can tough it out in, in the Word, then it just gets sweeter and sweeter. Now, again, we have to pray into each other, uh, but it's out of love and respect. And we also keep in mind what the intent is anytime it starts to go a little sideways. But we just love each other. And that love has grown deeper. You know, at first you look for somebody to meet your needs, and that they tell us here, and, and rightfully so, that that's not the way to go. But sometimes you have to lick the like socket to experience it, and, and you go from there. So um, it's just learn to lean into each other over the years, depend on each other, Kind of like a little bit like Proverbs twenty five nineteen, right? The opposite of that, because because a, a good woman is like a jewel to a man, and certainly uh, edifies and qualifies and makes more um, purposeful our life. So I'm I'm very grateful to her. Well, I'm going to ask you two more questions okay. about wives. Um, first of all. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Solomon kind of challenges people, and you talk about like a three-fold cord. And I believe my interpretation of that is that the man and the woman are looking up to God as the head of their union. I know there have been times when you've had disagreements with your wife. If you would share with the audience how important having God as the head of your marriage, knowing that you can go to Him when you guys are having disagreements and how to handle things? Yeah, great question. I, I think, again, if you're looking for longevity and you're looking uh, to be satisfied and, and to stay in God's will, uh, it's, it's absolutely key. Um, you know, it comes back to um, most of the time opposites attract, right? And God, I think that's part of God's design and will too. You kind of read between the, the verbs as you were the verses and you get that. But um, truly, you... you you, you often hear that we complete each other. That's not really correct, right? So we, if we understand that we are human, then it's inevitable that we will disappoint. Intentionally, unintentionally, whatever, it's, there's going to be a time, and particularly those people that, that you love, you, you, you're quicker to feel a sense of betrayal. Wait a minute. Why would, well, if you really think that through, their intent is not 99% of the time uh, to betray you or to hurt you. It's a misunderstanding, miscommunication. Sometimes, as males, our, our ability to listen to understand as opposed to listen to respond. So um, the key there, again, absolutely, and, and both people in their marriage uh, need to understand this, is that you look to God to meet your needs. He'll never betray you. He will always, always keep his promises. And then you minister to each other. There are things that that you each need, whether it's affirmation, whether it's time spent together, whatever uh, it might be. You often hear that listed as love languages, right? But ultimately, you go to God. And if you go to God first, you won't be uh, that disappointed or you'll be more understanding in their response or maybe lack of response, right? But but uh, that's that's all part of the relationship. That's that trinity. That's that three-chord thing. That's why three chords are stronger than one, right? I mean, that's not just you and your spouse. That's you, your spouse, and your God. That's the strength. That's where the unity is found. And that's where you must always go when it starts to look like it's going to go a little south. And you'll find the, the return is less painful or not painful at all. And the learning is always, always fruitful. Thank you. Wow, that is so good and such wisdom you can hear coming out of your mouth. Roger, I'm going to ask you one more question, and I always basically ask um, anyone, whether a man or woman on my podcast, the same thing. 
Okay, this really is a question for men. Okay. okay, I talk about this, that you love your parents. Amen. You love your children. Amen. You love your grandchildren. But there is a special type of, of uh, cherish is the word that no, I'm coming with. Cherish is something you do, and that is a special bond between a husband and a wife. What does that word cherish mean to you, Roger, and how have you nurtured your marriage using that word cherish? Oh, that's very well said. Uh, I think you captured that quite succinctly. So if I were to take cherish and apply it to my particular relationship, I would start first by saying it means that I am grateful that if there's there's no one else in the world that I can confide in like I can confide in my wife, these are things that are shared between men and women as as husband and wife that are not shared anywhere else. You wouldn't share it with your, uh, if you're going to these deep intimate things or you're trying to process through something that's happened in your life or, or which way you're going to go, it should be a mutual decision. And so I'm grateful to have that lifelong partner who really, uh, her first interest is always for my my best. And then I owe her no less than that when it when it goes back. So we kind of have to focus on that. So appreciate is probably not strong enough a word. You know, if I could find the Greek synonym, I would I would give you that. But it means something deeper than just grateful. It means an expectation and understanding that this person is for you first. Particularly if you look at women, look how sacrificial they are. And we as men can learn from that, right? They will almost always put you and, and you'll often see in the children first. So cherish means something deeper than grateful, but grateful is about the best word I have for it now. Thank you. Wow, that is so good. And, you know, if we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, a verse that is somewhat controversial at times, and and people don't like the word, but it says, Wives, submit yourselves, therefore, to your husbands. But, But, Roger, the key is, is this. If you cherish your wife... My interpretation of that is placing your wife like Mm. she is a queen Mm. and she is like on the throne and not, not, not like you're really bowing down to her, but if you treat her as though she is royalty, I like that word. Amen. If you do that, wives will have absolutely no issue with that term. Um, to submit. What What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think you said that very well. My understanding when you go back and look at that, again, is you have to put it in a cultural perspective. At the time, women were not allowed to sit with the men, and, and so this happens in, in the world in some places today, unfortunately. But mostly it was about do not be disrespectful to your husband in public and then get him straight in private so that he can come back and deal with the truth and deal with it directly. Uh, because, again, um, you know, if something is disrupted, then no learning occurs, right? So the idea was it really... I think most people agree, again, if we come back in this world, the way we're wired is is that men are often seeking respect and women are looking for security, right? So it's where those don't cross over in there. And so it's really saying wives respect your husband, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be heard. And that doesn't mean that your opinion doesn't count because it does. Because truly a different perspective and oftentimes a better perspective is is wisdom and leads to great counsel, right? So the, so the two are, they can counsel together. And in fact, 
Uh, I personally have no issues with women being pastors. I think, again, you, you bring that perspective, and I didn't see anywhere in this book says they can't, but you're looking at that particular verse has to deal with, with the cultural reality at the time, and the, its main issue, I don't think, was to stop women from speaking, was to stop them from interrupting. If you read you know, the context, interrupting their husbands. That's just my opinion, but truly, 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 um, wives will, I think I agree with you 100%, um, if you minister to your wife, she will submit that at least that authority, and and everybody wins there. It, it's a win-win, as opposed to going, hey, look, you can't, you have nothing to say here. We know that that's certainly not not true, and a lot of wisdom comes from that other side. One of the reasons he we invested a rib for that reason, right? That's where that wisdom comes from. So I agree with you 100. percent All right. Well, thanks, Roger. Okay. The number one, giving your heart to Jesus. Number two, choosing your mate. Number three, the most important decision is whether or not you will have kids. So if you would talk about that and about your kids. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's easy, right? Uh, But I have to, again, give credit back to my wife, Joy, because um, I traveled a lot. My job took me around the world and uh, and to other places, and so she often would have to to play both roles until I got home, and then I'd have to play catch up, right? So I have two wonderful adult children. Both of them are girls. They were born ten years apart. Uh, same same wife, no issues there, <laughs> and uh, and uh, yet I'm I'm super proud of them. They're both uh, grown with with kids of their own. Um, one of the greatest joys I think as a as a parent is when at some time as you watch them with their own children, and uh, and let's say they're 25 or 26, sometimes earlier, sometimes later, and you hear them repeating what you said to them when they were children. So you didn't think they were listening, but they were listening. And not only were they listening, they learned. And then, more importantly, when it reaches that point in their life, they apply. So that's very that's very satisfying as a parent, right, that, that they understood that you did this for their good or that you had their best... Uh, in in mind when you you took any decision or or uh, or anything you did with them right and sewed into their life, both my girls are tough and uh, and so they had to find tough men. <laughs> so I'm pretty proud of their choice of husbands too. And I I have um, six grandchildren and uh, sort of one that counts as a great grandchild um, in this crazy world we're in right now. But I, I love them all, and I'm, I'm grateful because they're, they're God gives us our legacy. Their God gives us their ability to, to well, not only one, continue on, but more importantly, continue on in the Great Commission, right? we got to keep going until, uh, until all nations have heard the good news of the gospel. So I see in them hope. And they're, they're believers. It's funny when you come home from Karis and you're full gospel-believing, they want to challenge in a few things, but they listen a little more intently because you're their parents. And and in our case, they they were, you know, they're very blessed and very loved. And and again, we had our moments there too. But they knew, uh, as we knew, that we loved them. And so that if you have that foundation, the rest of it is just something to get through. But yeah, it's it's having children and having grandchildren, and and then eventually great grandchildren. If I'm around to see more of those, is truly a blessing. Thank you. Okay, Roger, I'm going to thank you for that. You know, everything you're saying is is really, really impactful, and I know is making an impression on anybody listening. But I, I do want to ask you this. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 4, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children. Now, I want you to think back mm-hmm. about when your kids were younger, uh-huh. and how did you deal with your children 
when they had made a mistake and you knew you had correct to, to correct them using that verse in Ephesians? Yeah, absolutely. Again, times have changed, cultures have changed, but I, I was raised up in this, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, and my kids got a little bit, but it was never malicious, never painful, but it was immediate, and it was direct, and it was out of love, kind of like uh, a mama bear does to her cubs. So, yeah, provoke the child. I, I, I get that, but that means don't be the instigator. Right, you still have to be the loving father, and you still have to sow into them. They still need to be corrected from time to time. They will seek their boundaries, and more importantly, if you establish them, then they are aware of them when they're not in your presence, and they're out in the world, and they have to make the choices, whether it's sex or drugs or or anything, right, right or wrong, left or right. So, um, so you really do have to, as a parent, but I'm not telling anything you don't know. Is focus on your child. And, and what they need. But one of the things they need is 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 love and occasionally correction. So uh, I, it's funny, I, I probably um, I probably spanked until they were about age eight and never spanked hard, but it was immediate and direct. If, if, it, if it couldn't be dealt with directly, then it, it, it got dealt with otherwise. But um, they were raised as disciplined as I was. And I can tell you as a child, I never got spanked uh, uh, when I didn't deserve it. And there's a few times when I deserved it and didn't get spanked. So in that regard, it's fine. Now we've stopped that, but we, you know, I can't judge that. I, uh, how you raise your children, that's entirely up to you. But I can tell you that my kids grew up and they were, they knew that, that, um, actions had consequences, both positive and negative, And they chose most of the time, the positive ones. And after about age eight, I just had to look at them. That was, that was enough then. And, and eventually they, you could see where it changed, where they just didn't want to disappoint you as a parent. And that is far more, um, corrective than, um, a switch. I don't know about anybody else. But my dad used to Tell me you know, those uh, forsythia bushes. Go pick out a switch. So I'd come back invariably with a little one, and he'd send me back for another one. And then the issue got taken care of fairly quickly. I, I'm not an advocate for that. I mean, those were the times, but I can tell you, it made an impact on me, and it caused me at a very early age to understand that that consequences have action. So if you're going to act, make sure that it's for a positive reason and not a negative. My children got that too. I don't think they ever spanked, but they might have given him the evil eye from time to time. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Wow, that's so good. I'm going to go to Scripture for those, um, you know, having small children and, and you know, you're, you're battling and you consider this. And always remember in Proverbs 22, 6, it says we are to train up our Amen. children in the way we should go. And when they grow up, they will not depart from it. Exactly. And it sounds like you've done that exactly. I remember I raised my daughter pretty much by myself since she was three or four years old. Wow. I pretty much had full custody of my daughter. And I remember when I did spank her, and I did, and I remember telling her, this will, is going to hurt me more than you. Amen. And I mean, I can imagine her telling me, yeah, right, <laughs> right. tell me about it. But, um, you know, as I said, Roger, and, and the same thing with my daughter, she got to the point when she was six, I never had to spank her again. Right. She just knew you had that look in her eye. Amen. And the thing about it is, as a parent, when a child sees you because it hurts the parent, oh, of course. when it sees the child and the child is doing wrong, it hurts, it grieves 
the parent. And when you sit there and think of how God must be grieved, even oh, amen. even us as yes. adults, yes. and here we are 65 and 66 years old, <laughs> we are still making mistakes. You are still and right. I can imagine God in heaven grieving and crying over our mistakes. And He still loves us. He's unconditional. But oh my gosh... Roger, let's change keys just okay. a little bit. I mean, you're a third-year student yes, at Karis. How long have you known Andrew, and what prompted you to come to a Bible college in Colorado? Well, fair question, and it's kind of funny you ask me that because usually when when somebody asks you how long have you known Andrew, and you tell them, well, I, really about four years now, then they're like, well, I've been listening to him, you know, for since they had cassette tapes or or uh, vice versa, right? But um, my Search for Andrew again came through my or my connection came through my spouse, like most good things in life. And uh, I had uh, I was raised Baptist, um, and so uh, at a very early age, you know, I at least read the Bible, knew the Bible. I was an ambassador for Christ before I went into scouting, those kinds of things. So, again, I'm drawn towards service, and service in his name gives me the greatest satisfaction. So, um, I got involved in a, in a um, a children's home in, in West Africa, in Cameroon, West Africa. Went over there and and, uh, and helped um, break ground, set it up under another woman's tutelage, uh, another vision, another godly vision. So being a Timothy, happy to be able to do that. And I knew that I I could break things, I could build things, I could handle security when you're handing out bags of rice or, or uh, French Bibles, but um, I knew I did not have enough knowledge of the Word in order. I You know, it kind of like the the physician's credo, first do no harm. I didn't want to leave there after two weeks or three weeks and and left with, you know, something that was going to cause them to go against God's word. So I sought out a Bible-believing college while I was still employed, right before I retired. I was considering going to Liberty and should have went to Liberty because uh, as a retired, as a former veteran, retired police officer, retired intelligence officer, I could have went there for almost free. But I never quite pulled the trigger. And then my wife, who began to watch Andrew Womack, said, well, listen to him. So my requirement was that it stick to the Bible and that it not follow somebody, man's doctrine, and that it be true in its interpretation. You know, it doesn't just say... um, this is what the Bible says. It says, this, here's the verse, much as you've said today, and here's what it says before, and here's what it's after, and here's what context it's in. So that's pretty simple to me. The Bible is simple. Uh, we complicate it at our own peril. So when I listened to a man that was doing just that, he was reading the Bible and uh, and applying it to life. I thought, no, that's, that's it. So we... We were considering, uh, you know, maybe uh, coming out here to go to college. Then we found out there was a satellite uh, campus in D.C., so we went to that. Our first year was hybrid. What's funny, is, as I mentioned Joy earlier, is that she said, hey, they're having this open house. I said, well, let's go. So we went, needed to hear everything we said, and I said, you know what the Holy Spirit's telling me? You need to go too, so let's just sign you up. We had left so much of our life separate. My my career often took me away in, in late hours and long hours of the of the day and night. And uh, so I thought, here's an opportunity to do this together. And and she truly is more wired in. You know, she gets up every morning at 4.30, reads her Bible. She has to buy a new Bible every two years because they're dog-eared. And there's there's so many markings between the line that you can't read it, right? So uh, so she's been my inspiration there. And 
And so then we came out for a minister's conference because of our affiliation with the, the children's home in, in Cameroon. And then, no, I listened to him. And I'm going, no, this man is not going left or right. He's going straight through the book. That's where I need to be because that's what I need to understand. Like, really, what does Matthew 28 say when it says, go? Well, you know, what, what's the question? Well, it's make disciples. That's what it's saying. So then I thought, no, it, it caused me to go, I'm not here to be a better disciple. I'm here to learn to make disciples. And, uh, and so that all struck me. And he uh, probably, is, if I were to say favorite instructor, it'd be Andrew Womack because there's no left or right, it's straight down the center, and, and I don't have to wonder what that means because, you know, he just reads it and then applies it in context. So that's what brought me here. I retired. We uh, came out here. You can't do third year anywhere else stateside, right, CONUS, but, you, but it's here. And, uh, and here's the thing, too. God always gives you the desires of your heart if you let him. Well, I love to hunt. And so last year, against all odds, I drew a, a mule deer tag. This year, next week, I get an antler bull tag. So it's going to be me and Sasquatch in the mountains and God, and, it, and it'll be good. So that's, that's what brought me to Karis, and no regrets. The, the two years under the word, incredible. Now, this third year is sweeter and sweeter, and it's about application. And the good thing about it, you don't have to chase it. God will, will put people in front of you all the time. So there's not a day goes by where I don't have to go, hmm, okay, God, he's asking me this, what? What should I tell him, right? Okay, I'm going to go to the Word. Gotcha. Thank you. I'm going to go to this. Hey, let's go to this and take a look at that, right? And it, it's not me talking. It's the Holy Spirit talking. So once you learn to dial into that and, and, and not have your own agenda, it's an incredible. I told you I have a servant's heart, right? Here's a chance to serve his flock. And at the same time, as a teacher, you know this. If you really want to know a subject, teach it. So, right? So when somebody asked me, I've got to get deeper into it. Just like you asked me to go over, over Psalms 25. I thought, oh, I need to read this more. So thank you for that. You know, I'm going to go over two things. First of all, in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus sets the example of what we are supposed to do. This is the night of the Last Supper. He knows his time is coming to a close. And yet, after supper, he removes his outer garments. He gets on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his disciples. That is the ultimate example of what Jesus set for us, that we are to have a servant's heart. And the other thing I wanted to mention was piggyback off of you. Okay, Roger, you mentioned that um, about teaching. And as a special education teacher, what I often did with my kids is I would find a person who really understood the concept well. And once I knew that a child understood the concept well, I would have them sit to another, with another student in the class that did not get it. And I would give them the opportunity to mm, teach. That's wonderful. If you truly understand something, Roger, the only way to truly prove that you know it well enough is if you can teach a particular concept. Yeah. And if you don't know it well enough to teach it, 
you need to go back and relearn it or study it yeah. more. Yeah. So um, anyway, Roger, we are at the age where we need to start thinking about what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell, kind of a guru for leadership. We all know who John Maxwell is. Yes, sir. But he talks about leaving a legacy. If you would, Roger, talk about that concept of legacy. How are you living your life now to make sure you leave a legacy for your children, your grandchildren, your great children, and other people that you have a sphere of influence over? Oh, great question. So two things come to mind. First, when the word legacy comes up, we tend to apply that personally, right? And that I'll come back to in just a second. But what I've come to know and appreciate that much more, our real purpose here is to perpetuate Christ's legacy. Until he comes back, our job is to continue to sow the gospel into his flock, the these nations, uh, and, until that happens, right? Um, so as far as a personal legacy, there was a time when, when I, if I use that word, I was talking about how I would be remembered. And, and that's not all bad in my mind, again, in that I would often apply... You know, well done, good and faithful servant is the epitaph for my for my headstone. And that would have been enough. But I also realized early on that I needed to sow that into my children too, right? And part of the loving is giving them, giving them the truth and the gospel and pointing it towards Christ because the storms will always come. The storms are inevitable. The only constant is change, right? So uh, if you have Jesus in your heart and a love for his people, then they are so much easier to deal with and so much easier to conquer um, as opposed to just accept. And conquering can mean a lot of different things depending on the situation. So, I, uh, you know, more my wife, but certainly with my support, uh, we even to, to this day, so now uh, full gospel into our uh, children, our adult children, and we've we've seen that we put our uh, kids at a young age and supported putting our grandkids into Christian schools. So you give them a good foundation, um, and but at the same time, you know, knowledge has no value unless it's applied. And so they've seen the the love of Jesus applied in our our life towards each other and towards them. That's what they'll remember. That's why they'll seek. A greater understanding of his word and his purpose for us, his creation. So that I would count as my uh, my hope is the legacy would be that uh, that I come out of it and my and my children focus on on their heavenly Father and uh, and the one they sent, so that we could um, once again uh, repent and, and come under the the favor of our of our uh, God and Creator. So that's how I tend to think of it now. The flesh will always pop up first. Mm, okay, then. <laughs> then we know that we have to then lean on the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost will guide you. So better to to be remembered as somebody who uh, directed those around them uh, to the full gospel and the love of Jesus Christ, so that this kingdom work uh, that he's given us to do has purpose and, and direction, and understanding that that until all nations have heard the gospel, that it's going to be uh, ongoing. And uh, and really, the sense of satisfaction when your soul and your Holy Spirit sort of wrap around each other, you can't buy that. So that's that's what I've always hoped to push on them, and more so the last five or six years. They Sometimes you see them looking at you like, Dad, really? No, really. Let me tell you about healing. 
Let me tell you about what Jesus laid at the foot of the cross. Let me tell you what you should expect. Let me tell you to be specific in your prayers. Let me tell you about a God that loves you and and wants to be in relationship with you. And let me tell you about a God that will not fail you. You are never alone. And he always, he's long-suffering. It's a good thing. So, So that... That is the legacy that I've, that I've tried to sow into, and again, it's it's always tough, right? Renew your your mind daily, but um, bury the flesh, focus on the on the Christ. Thank you, Roger. I'm gonna I'm gonna give one final scripture here in Third John chapter two. God makes it very plain what His desire is for each and every one of His children, and He says very specifically, He says, "I wish." above all things. I want you to think about this. These are actually the words of God. I wish above all things that you prosper Mm. and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So here we're talking about our finances. Mm -hmm. We're talking about our physical well-being and our body. And we're talking about our soulish realm. He's concerned with every area of your life. He watches over us. He will lead you and guide you if you allow him to. Roger, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share anything else that you would like to get across to the audience today. And what I'd like for you to do after that is if you would give the invitation to anyone who still has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Mm, I would close with this thought. Um, Go to the Word. Go to your Bible. Find, again, your faith in God's promises. Lean on those. Receive those. Get around like-minded people so that they can encourage you, so they can direct you, so they can be, you can be accountable to them. That's that's an amazing thing there too, right? So uh, I think th- I would just encourage you, again, no matter where you are in your walk, um, to seek greater relationship, to get more intimate with your Creator. He's given this this, this wonderful book, this, this, this basic instructions before leaving earth, right? So that the majority of this book deals with kingdom living here, here. We know if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your salvation is, is assured, that it is sealed. But we're talking about here, here, the however many years uh, that you have to, to spend here on this earth. We're talking about how to live uh, with a peace that surpasses all understanding. We're talking about how to love people unconditionally, how to forgive people even if they won't forgive you. That's where that peace comes from. That's where you're able to love people that are unlovable. And as the Bible tells us, it's, it's easy to, you know, to love the, the lovable, to, to love those that are closest to you. Well, you know what? Again, you'll find that life is a little bit sweeter and the reward a little bit more obvious when you, you sow into the unlovable and when you forgive the unforgivable. So think about who, who's out there in your life now that if there is somebody, more than likely there is, that you, you can't forgive, a parent, a colleague, a past friend, and maybe consider just unequivocally, unconditionally, right now, forgive them. 
forgive them with no expectations from them. If there's somehow they can know that, that's fine. If you think it'll pull the scab off a wound, I would, I would avoid that because it's really about your your relationship with Jesus Christ, and he he has asked us to forgive those people in our life. And I, and I think you'll find comfort. You'll find understanding if you just get into the Word. Uh, the Old Testament is great. It's a type and shadow for coming of Jesus. The New Testament, really, uh, unless you really want to be told what to do and not to do, then go to Deuteronomy. But, but other than that, and again, Proverbs is, is pretty amazing too. But, uh, you know, seek Him in the New Covenant. Seek Him in the New Promise. And finally, I would say this. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... I don't know what you're waiting for, right? I mean, there's nothing ambiguous or unclear in the Bible. And it tells us that that you must come to the Father through the Son. So I'm I'm speaking to anybody out there now, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord Lord and Savior, consider doing it now. We, We can do it now. Whether you're by yourself or with others or whatever situation you find yourself in, I would simply ask you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, you know that that I have been a sinner. Dear Jesus, you know that I have done this the hard way. Lord Jesus, now I ask you to come into my heart. I accept you now as my Lord, my only Lord and Savior. Lord, I accept all that you have for me and all you promised for me. I value what you sacrificed for all of us, and I lean into that sacrifice now. Father God, thank you. Please receive me again as one of your children. If you pray that prayer, then, then you know, please, please know then that if you prayed it and you meant it. And if you're not sure if you meant it, I'd ask you to speak with somebody in that, that you may know, a, a, a pastor, uh, clergy, however that might be, and they can go into it deeper. Because I don't want you to commit to something you don't believe. But know this, Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could become sinless. He died for our our poverty so that we, we could be could become prosperous. He died so that we can live life and live it more abundantly now. He died so we can be accepted again and loved by our Father, and we now have the keys to heaven. He died so that we don't have to fear the devil or the prince of this world. So please, I hope you prayed that prayer with me. If you did, I'd still encourage you to to reach out to somebody. There are a number of books, but the book is the Bible. And and, and certainly look up verses that deal with, with salvation. But please accept Jesus into your heart. And again, do it truly. And then you should get curious and you would want to be fed. This should make you hungry to know about this Jesus and this salvation and how it applies to kingdom living here and now. God bless you. Thank you, Roger, so much. And I'm going to close with a blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Friends, please join me again tomorrow as we further explore wisdom today.